This is the podcast at Clark's Room. It's my thoughts on education, technology, leadership, and life. If you like what you're hearing, please take a minute to like, subscribe, and share. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Welcome back to the podcast at Clark's Room, everyone. I am pretty dang excited this evening to welcome Eric onto the podcast. Eric, how are you doing? Good, good. Good to be here. I don't, have we actually ever talked before? I don't know if we have. No, I don't think so either. This is one of those occasions where uh, we're friends on Twitter and uh, and I don't think we've even officially met face to face. So uh, good to good to meet you, if you will. Thanks for coming on my podcast. I know it is fairly late, 1030 Chicago time. Yeah, it's, it's a little past my bedtime, but I was excited to have a conversation with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you currently work with Otis. That's Keith kind of connected us. And you're the director of strategic initiatives. What does that mean? That means I, I do a little bit of everything. It's a, it's a fancy title. And uh, I just, I, I kind of fill as many gaps as possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd say mainly what I do is a lot of content marketing and some business development. So uh, basically everything from the Otis channel, uh, social channels comes from me. I okay. write a lot of blog posts, create videos. And then um, on the other side of it, uh, the business development side, I manage a lot of our um, relationships with organizations like Q in California, mm-hmm. or maybe you know the ISTE affiliates around the country. Um, work with our partners to find mutually beneficial type of opportunities for Otis as well as their company. Mm-hmm. Um, really, just kind of you know looking for uh, interesting ways to add value to the company. That's awesome. And so when you started way back when as a special ed teacher in Joliet, did you ever think this is where your path would go? Not in a million years. I, I, um, you know, before I was a teacher, I worked as a clerk and a commodities trader at the Board of Trade. And I went back to school to be a teacher. And I thought when I graduated that you know, I, I pictured myself spending the next 30 years in the classroom and, and was going to be really happy doing that. And uh, things just, you know, kind of went in a different direction. But and I'm really happy the way uh, with the way things turned out. You know, it's funny that, that you mentioned that because people always talk about um, or ask me what, what made you decide to become an administrator. And I'm finishing up my sixth year. And so, you know, I get I have a pretty good answer to that because it happens a lot. And I was like, ah, didn't really plan on it. Sometimes our journeys just take twists and you just got to hold on for the ride. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's absolutely right. Well, and, and funny um, backstory. So when I was, oh, probably 21, I guess I had I had tickets uh, to go to the Cubs Sox crosstown matchup on a Sunday, and I had tickets to go to the Cure concert on a Saturday, and I did not. I realized I didn't have enough money for both, and so um, you know to really be able to enjoy myself. Like yeah. I had the tickets already bought, but you know you're going to buy a few beverages at either event, and and so um, I decided to sell my Cure tickets. And went to the Cubs Sox game, and that's when I ran into an old friend that, uh, basically, long story short, led to my job at the Mercantile Exchange. 
And so that was a major fork in the road for me because I always wonder if I hadn't run into to my buddy Matt, uh, where my life had, would have gone, you know? And then I got to this other fork in the road where I had an opportunity to still work in education, but go on more of the business side of things when I took the role at CDW. And so that was this other fork where, you know, I could have stayed in the classroom or, or working with teachers and I decided to take that business route. And I always wonder what would, what would have happened? Where would I be today? had I uh, stayed working in the schools. Yeah, it, it's funny how, you know, one's not better than the other. They're just different. Just different, uh, um, yeah. And I, I just recently started listening to a podcast. I don't remember the gentleman. You may know his name, but it's it's the Start Ed. Start Ed. Oh, um, yeah, Don Wetrick. Yeah, and it's kind of funny listening to how so many educators are starting to become entrepreneurs and, and join startup companies. And when you think about it, the roles are so similar, even though the the clientele is so different yeah i I couldn't agree more um companies are looking for educators and i think one of the reasons why is that um educators for the most part um are uh, really well-rounded and very flexible Mm -hmm. in terms of like being able to adapt to a new environment and so they bring this very broad skill set um, and are able to solve a wide variety of problems. And so the companies are able to say, well, hey, you've got this great education background. Um, we could really use you to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And they are able to kind of reinvent themselves and, and find a way to be valuable. It makes a lot of sense for sure. I know in California and a lot of states, I'm, I'm not for sure how Illinois works. The big hurdle for that is once you're about 15 years in, that retirement button really hits and it's like that has to be a a huge decision because it doesn't transfer anywhere. Yeah, I think that's the case just about anywhere you go. I mean, Illinois is um, not doing too well financially and there's a lot of question about uh, what the teacher retirement system is going to offer for a lot of the teachers today. But I just, I think generally speaking though, you're right on. Are are you originally and always from, you know, the, the Chicago, greater Chicagoland area? Yeah, I, I grew up in Joliet, Illinois, which um, is known for the Blues Brothers. Yeah. If, you, if you remember the movie, the Blues Brothers. I'm when getting they the band the, back together. Yeah, that's right. So when they open the, the, the gate to the prison in the beginning of the movie, that prison is Joliet. That's that's the Joliet prison. And actually, it's the same prison that they, they filmed um, Prison Break at. Yes, I we, we got into that show... My wife and I, when it first came out, but I had to stop because I would get so mad because it was really before binge watching could occur. And uh, I, I could not know what was going on. It made me really frustrated and yeah. angry. So <laughs> so I just had to tap out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, Joliet's claim to fame is prisons. So I, I don't know, you know. It, that you know it is what it is yeah i'm i've, uh, I've been through joliet a few times because i grew up in southern illinois um near, oh really yeah i grew up near st louis uh right new okay. Louis. so you know we've driven through joliet a few times i don't think we've actually we we didn't stop i don't know what that means but we didn't yeah you know it's it's debatable how much you really missed <laughs> <laughs> how was your time at microsoft I, I don't actually talk to many people that ever ever spent time with microsoft because you know they, they're seen as the the big bad guys technically i never worked for microsoft but i was you know a microsoft innovative educator 
Well, I guess kind of worked for Microsoft. Yeah. I mean, I was a trainer, so I'd, I'd go out and do trainings, kind of like a Google certified trainer, yeah. right? But the Microsoft version. And um, at the time, I uh, that's when I was still an instructional technologist and our district was one of the first schools in Illinois to go one-to-one -one, and we were using uh, Windows machines. And so it just naturally kind of made sense mm -hmm. uh, to, to go the Microsoft Innovative Educator route. And at that time, to be honest, Google was still really new. Like, I don't even think Chromebooks were a thing yet. Yeah. And so there wasn't even, you know, the only other alternative might have been, um, you know, the the Apple version of the corporate certification. So, yeah. Um, yeah, working with Microsoft was great. I had an opportunity to go to the Microsoft Global Forum in Barcelona and connected with a few wow. hundred educators from around the world. And that was a really cool experience because... Uh, you realize everyone is really in the same kind of boat, meaning um, if they do have access to technology, um, there's a lack of professional development. A lot of the focus was just on technology, not so much on the actual teaching part of it and where technology fits into that equation. And no matter where people were um, in the world, they were facing those same kinds of, kinds of issues. So tell me a little bit about Modern Measures. Where did that come from and, and what, what have you been doing with that? Because that, that's your podcast, Modern Measures. Yes. Um, so, yeah. so give me the little, uh, the little spiel on, on what that's all about and, and what made you decide to start it and, and how is it, you know, what's been the genesis of it? Yeah, so it actually was born out of a conference that I hosted, um, you know, maybe six months ago at Otis. And the idea of the conference was that um, it wasn't about Otis at all. And it was really about uh, these different instructional strategies that if you were doing standards-based learning or project-based learning or personalized learning, um, data-informed instruction, or mm, there was one other one, uh, it'll come to me in a second. But, excuse me, basically, if you're doing one of these instructional strategies, Otis would amplify your ability to do them even better. Mm -hmm. But we're we're always very adamant that um, ineffective teaching plus Otis is still ineffective teaching. Yeah. So if you don't have the instructional strategies in place, Otis is not going to help you. You know, it's not going to turn things around for you. Mm -hmm. So um, with that being said, you know, we really want to convey to our users and anyone who's potentially interested in Otis that uh, we are founded by educators were primarily run by educators and that we really care about you know good instructional assessment and grading practices and so we thought let's put on a conference that's just about education it will be a kind of a collaborative effort between ice which is illinois computing educators that's the is the affiliate in illinois mm -hmm. it was uh co-hosted between ice and otis and Otis was there in the background, you know, we foot, foot the bill for everything. But other than that, it was just a straight up education conference. Yeah. And it was a unique kind of um, format in the sense that it was ed campish in a way. So we had five, um, we had five featured moderators and their role was to moderate a conversation about whatever their kind of specialty area was. So Katie Boudreaux, uh, of the SBL chat, 
um, notoriety. She uh, moderated three one-hour sessions that were conversations about standards-based learning. And then, you know, educators had an opportunity to go to one of these five different strands and um, participate in this kind of ed camp type of discussion. So it, it went... It went off like without a hitch. People loved the format. Yeah, I bet. Um, everyone, we got awesome feedback. Yeah, so it was kind of a, <clears throat> kind of like an, a, a little bit more structure to an ed camp, but not so much so that it's like all these different sessions, right? Yeah. So anyway, so so just great feedback, awesome, um, uh, you know, ideas about you know um, what went well, how we could make it better for the next time. So anyway. The, the idea then was born that, well, people love this idea that it was about um, lesson design, uh, assessment, and grading practices. And so let's take that exact same format and um, do a podcast around that. So what I really wanted to do was uh, work or, or talk with educators who... Um, have some experience in a particular uh, area. And, you know, some of them are kind of buzzwords like personalized learning. Yeah. Right? It's, we kind of start with this, this kind of open-ended uh, or overarching concept of something like personalized learning. And we talk about what it is and maybe what it's not. And then um, we talk about, you know, what are some success stories, but that's, that's a very short part of the podcast. The, the, to me, the most um, valuable part of it is that we talk about what doesn't work with personalized learning. What kind of failures can you expect? Um, what kind of obstacles will you encounter? Because uh, you and I both know on Twitter, it's a lot of the icing on the cake. It's a lot of the success stories mm -hmm. and look at what I'm doing. This is also fantastic, which is awesome. But a lot of, a lot of the time, that's the very end of all of the hard work and failure that went into the success. People don't share the worst part of their lives on social media, right? We only see the best and that's why comparison is dangerous because we didn't see the 300 iterations they had to do of something. It, exactly. And so that's, that's kind of the idea. And I, and I, I'm stealing a little bit from Tim Ferriss. If, if you know the Tim Ferriss podcast yes, I do. and that he, he tries to break down these people who are really good at what they do uh, so that everyday people like me and you can take those um, habits or routines or, uh, you know, ways that they deal with failure and, and incorporate them in their own lives. And so that's, there's a Tim Ferriss, you know, ish kind of, um, uh, twist to the podcast where I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to talk about all the puppy dogs and rainbows. I want to talk about how you failed, how you overcame it, lower the the intimidation factor for, you know, Susie Johnson, third grade teacher in the middle of Iowa, who hears about personalized learning or project-based learning, but it's like, you know what? That's just, I don't know if I can do that. Mm -hmm. I want to help that teacher feel like, you know what? All those failures that I'm picturing in my head, those are not 
nearly as bad as I thought. Maybe, yeah, you know, maybe I will give this a try. And that's what I hope people take away from it. Yeah, it's it's sort of like the idea when I, because I go to a lot of Q events and been to a few other, you know, events like that. And, and the users you see there, you're like, hmm, I don't, I don't know if these are the people that really need to be here though it's great and they get stuff out of it but you're like uh, we need the we need the teachers that are afraid to come to these things to come to these things absolutely yeah it's it's like bringing sand to the beach it's just like twitter mm-hmm. a lot of the people on twitter probably don't need to spend as much time on twitter as they do um you know like our twitter chats you know i feel like yeah. a lot of times we're recycling a lot of the same tweets and the same content and it's it's great don't get me wrong there's a lot of value to it um, but you're right. How do we get the people who are not on Twitter to participate in those conversations? And, yeah. and maybe Twitter's not the right avenue for them. So maybe this podcast reaches them. It's definitely um, we just hosted at my site uh, a podcast book club. So, you know, you listen to a podcast and you go talk about it once a week. You know, we're hoping to replicate that a couple of times next year just because it's so less intimidating than even, hey, you have to commit to a full book. And some of those teachers that would never jump on Twitter, we're hoping will will come. And we're obviously intentionally picking what podcasts are being listened to. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I like that idea. I have a couple of questions I, uh, I, I always like to ask people. And, and one of them is if you had a magic wand and you could change anything in education and, and, you know, definitely you have perspective from classroom to organization that is still in education, but not in the classroom. What would that one big change be? What would you say, Hey, we need to fix this. Oh, I think, I think that one's pretty easy. And I want to bring up a tweet that I actually just sent today that I think is worth mentioning. And so it's from an article um, by a guy named Kentaro Toyama and it was an article in the Atlantic and it's, it's based on this. So if I could, well, I'll read the quote and then we'll get to the magic wand part. So he says, um, the name of the article is why technology alone won't fix schools. And the excerpt from the article is that if a private company is failing to make a profit, no one expects that state of the art data centers, better productivity software and new laptops for all the employees will turn things around. Yet that's the exact logic of so many attempts to fix education with technology. So my magic wand would be that schools would no longer purchase technology without first having a unified vision for what they're trying to accomplish, uh, without uh, having a strategic plan and and how you get there. I'm a big fan of the uh, idea that a a goal without a plan is just a wish. And um, I've seen, like when I worked at CDW for five years, I worked with schools all over the country and a lot of them were buying laptops uh, for kids, which Mm -hmm. is, is great. And a lot, I'd get a ton of phone calls every day, every week, every month. And, and people would say, hey, we just passed this bond. We've got some money. We're going to go one-to-one. We're super excited. And my first question was always, why? And a lot of times I, I didn't get you know, much of an answer other than, well, what do you mean we're going one-to-one? Isn't That's, that's exciting, right? <laughs> um, and so you know, my thought was always, it's good, but if all you're going to do is pass out devices and we're going to keep doing this, the old things – in new ways, well, what are we really accomplishing other than spending 
millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And so if I could wave a magic wand so that decision makers, whether those are educators or administrators or school boards or whoever it might be, that they would stop spending money on technology without first having a plan for how it's going to change lesson design, assessment, grading, and without also allocating money for professional development. Yeah. Thing, you know, widgets are bought, uh, but the training's like, oh, we'll get, we'll get to that later. And I'm like, no, you won't. Because once you have the thing, you're not going to spend money on the training. Why don't we pay for the training first? And mm-hmm. the widgets will definitely come at some point because once you get teachers excited about something, if you can't afford the widget, they're going to find a way to go get it. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, one of the best uh, approaches I've seen was that, you know, if a if a district was going to go to the school board and say, hey, we need, um, you know, a million dollars, let's for sake of argument, uh, let's say we need a million dollars to purchase these devices and maybe there's some infrastructure upgrades. Um, and then they they say, well, in addition to that, we need um, two hundred thousand dollars for professional development. The school board will say, yes, go one to one. Um, Nick's the $200,000 for professional development. That sounds like way too much money. And so what some really smart schools are doing is they're saying, well, let's just bundle that $200,000 into the total amount of money that we're asking for and divide $200,000 by the number of devices that they need to buy. So maybe that's $30, $40, $50 per device. And now we're saying instead of $250 for a Chromebook, we're going to spend $300 on a Chromebook. Mm-hmm. And that's a pill that's much easier to swallow for the school board. Yeah. And it's it's just like saying it's it's the Google enrollment fee, right? It, it's a similar kind of add-on right. fee that, that you know is in there, but you don't really pay attention to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing is, you know, there's also, uh, for anybody who follows me on Twitter, you've probably heard me say this a couple dozen times, but there's a really big difference between training and professional development, right? Mm-hmm. And when a lot of schools say they're providing professional development, they're really providing training. It's how do you operate a Chromebook? How do you share a document? How do you you know, manage a class in Google Classroom? It's what buttons do you click to get the technology to do what you want to do? But very rarely is the time or money spent on helping teachers to think how do I change my instructional practices in a way that technology is going to amplify what I'm doing in the classroom, not simply, you know, replace uh, the old things and do those in, in newer ways. Because if you're doing the same thing with a Chromebook that you did with paper, then you're just buying a really expensive piece of paper. I agree. And and I was the whole idea, the notion of paperless classroom just made my skin crawl because of what you're just saying, like paper and pencil will always have a place in education. Um, now, if you want to call it a more efficient classroom, that makes sense because we can eliminate some paper and we can increase efficiencies with technology. But the idea that paper is just we need a paperless classroom um, is, is not really what's best for students. Cause there's some kids who are going to retain information and comprehend it better 
by writing it down where other kids, it might work for them to type out the notes and it's mm -hmm. really about what's best for kids. And so, um, you know, getting rid of paper to save money, it's not going to really ultimately save you that much money, right? You might save a few hundred, you know, $150,000, $200,000 a year by eliminating some of the copies. But what many schools don't consider in the, a lot of this, um, that I'm going to say is based on this this Project Red research that was done, but the research that they did um, was like on a thousand schools across all different demographics, and they found that when technology is implemented properly, and they define what they mean by properly, mm -hmm. but it's basically that when when we do change the um, instructional and, uh, and grading assessment practices. Uh, and, and we're making things that are more student-centered. We're providing more authenticity and relevance in the classroom. What that does is it increases attendance. Um, it increases um, the participation by students. It raises test scores. Uh, there's uh, greater engagement and uh, just satisfaction. Uh, what am I trying to say? A satisfaction mm -hmm. in the work uh, that teachers are doing. Uh, there's less behavior problems, so there's less kids in the office, and all of those things lead to uh, less money being spent, right? Mm -hmm. And so, again, it goes back to that professional development. If we gave teachers better and more professional development, as well as some additional time to really change and hone uh, their instructional strategies that's going to have this like snowball effect on all these other aspects of the school that will save way more money than you could ever save by stopping teachers from making copies. Yeah. But again, it's one of those things where, you know, I always found it interesting. The things that um, some schools say, well, we can't afford professional development. Uh, and I would say, well, that's the thing that you you absolutely must have in order for this $5 million investment to be successful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's it's short-sighted versus long-term planning, for sure. Yeah. You said something that kind of struck me, you know, we say it's it it's about the students, so it's best for students. And I guess, I don't know if it's a dirty little secret or not, but our educational system, which I'm a part of and been a part of as a teacher and administrator, uh, you know, I sat on a board for seven years. Uh, I've been, you know, my kids go to charter school. So I, I've, I've seen a lot of the facets of education and I, you know, I love it. It's not, it's not about the students as a system, an individual te teacher. It's about the students as school. It can be about the students and administrator, but the system, it's so funny. People don't understand how transportation really drives schedules. Not, 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 not what's best for student transportation mm -hmm. does, you know, the, the almighty budget determines a lot. Or, you know, in California, there's so many ed code laws now, you know, there's so many every year, so many bills passed that say you need to teach this and you need to teach this um, because some politician says we should. They don't have really any brain research behind it saying that's what's best for the student. So, you know, just like individual people can be highly intelligent and a crowd can make a highly intelligent person really dumb. Or at least make dumb decisions. <laughs> There's so many teachers that are amazing and passionate about students, and I, I I get to work with a lot of them. But the system as a whole, there's so many other factors driving it, not what's best for an individual student. And and it's kind of sad, but 
it's a system we're in and you, you know, you try to do the best you can for. Yeah. I think educators are doing the absolute best with what they have. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of teachers yep. have their hands tied uh, because uh, they're forced to fit in this system that I think ultimately um, doesn't really work for a lot of educators, but you know, the, like you said, uh, a lot of education policy seems to be designed for the convenience of adults rather than what's best for for children. sure for sure to your point we just uh, had a vote on a um, referendum uh, for some funding our, our district in my hometown is um, like 50 million dollars in debt because they built some new schools based on some grants from the state of illinois and then now uh, Illinois is trying to renege on those grants and not pay the district. And so we've got some major um, problems. And there's a, a Facebook group with a lot of community members who are, you know, really passionate and care about mm-hmm. kids and they're and we're trying to start this community conversation. And there was just so many misconceptions um, that were driving the decisions and perspective of the community members that it was really hard to, you know, uh, participate in this group and, and not want to get like overly involved. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to jump in and dispel all these misconceptions. And I realized that, you know, Facebook group is not the the time or place to do that. I mean, what it's always positive. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) The number one thing so many parents were saying is like, well, we need to cut administrators. We need to get rid of so many administrators and so and and trim down the administrator salaries, and uh, and cut the teacher salaries. And I was just like, whoa, hold on here, <laughs> like you know, cut, you know, getting rid of administrators is isn't. I don't know how that's going to be helpful, and lowering teacher salaries is definitely not going to be helpful. Um, you know, there's there's so many other. Um, problems that we could address that, you know, creating this toxic culture in this, in the school, because we're eliminating positions and cutting salaries. Um, I, I just, I, I get it. I get where they're coming from, but their lack of understanding mm-hmm. of what's happening in a school district, uh, was very clear when you start hearing suggestions. Like that. There was the two local high schools in the district here, three, actually three high schools in, in the district I, I live in, uh, but not working. Um, they were planning to have graduation today, tonight, um, but there was heavy rain in the forecast. And so there was a fake Facebook post about how terrible the district was because people have to sit out in the rain, but the schools don't have a facility big enough to host. Right. And so downtown SAC has the golden one arena. It's pretty new. Um, so they, they, within a week moved all the graduations there, which is really impressive logistically. Oh, wow. And then a post right below the post of people complaining about the rain, there was a post, uh, it cost $47,000 to have the three graduations at this location. And people are complaining (laughs) that they wasted $47,000 and that should go to the classroom. (laughs) And I'm like, well, you can't have it both ways. Like that's a business. You can't tell them to do it for free. They have to pay their employees to open it up. Um, and I'm like, what do you, what do you want them to do? Like they lost yeah. either way. And I'm not saying I, I don't, I have complaints and gripes about the local district, but that was just silly. Cause they literally, the yeah. two posts were on top of each other. And I was like, oh my good gracious. And to your point, the, one of the other things, uh, actually one of the first things to be cut were instructional, uh, coaches, uh, instructional technologists 
and they eliminated all professional development for teachers. And so my, my immediate thought was that, you know what, if teachers had more support um, to grow professionally, had more professional development, had more time to do planning and things like that, um, a lot of teachers probably, maybe it's just me, um, but I would guess, especially based on what you're saying is, if teachers had better working conditions, a lot of them probably wouldn't even ask for more money mm-hmm. than they're already yeah. making. You know what I mean? And hey, I, I don't think, you know, if a district said, hey, we're going to give give you a raise. I, 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 n- I never said no. Let's just say that. But I, no, I, nobody know, would turn it down. Yeah, But I was a big believer for me. I knew what I was getting into because I could see every year what I was going to make for the next 15 years. Right? Like I just knew what I was walking into. And that mm-hmm. was my decision. But at the same time, someone that feels like they need to get paid a certain wage to live in a certain area, I'm not going to disagree with them. That's 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 for them to decide. I do think it's more about the other things. Um, it just comes out as pay because that's tangible versus respect or I don't feel inspired or I don't feel valued or you don't you know, you don't grow me as a person. Those are really hard to to talk about in, at a at a negotiating table. Yeah. And so definitely, yeah. you know, I'll just say what you guys are doing over Otis. I'm not even a paid customer. You know, my school used it for two years um, and just gave feedback. I, I think it's a, a, a tool for teacher efficiency that is unrivaled. Um, you guys are doing some great work there and you could tell you're all, you know, educators. So I would say keep fighting that good fight. Well, well thanks so much for, for connecting. Uh, last thing, if people want to connect with you, what are, what are a few ways they can connect with you on Twitter, the internet, uh, uh, the interwebs, all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, the best place to just, you know, engage in a conversation or, or ask questions or share ideas is on Twitter. Uh, my handle is no app, the number four pedagogy. So no app for pedagogy. And uh, I also have, uh, I run the modern measures uh, Twitter account and that's just at modern measures or actually it's at modern underscore measures. And I use the modern measures hashtag. And then uh, the podcast, I'd love for people to jump on and give that a listen if, uh, if they care to do so. Yeah. And it- Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'd love to do it again. Thank you again for tuning into the podcast at Clark's Room. I do appreciate you spending a few minutes of your day with me. If you like what you hear, don't forget to share, subscribe, and like through your favorite podcast provider. If you want to find more information about Clark's Room, you can go to clarksroom.com, find me on Twitter at Clark's Room, or visit the new Patreon site, patreon.com slash Clark's Room.